this morning. We're going to dive into God's word as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. Last week I had the opportunity to do really the 30,000 foot flyover, the intro uh, to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And I, I think I described it this way. We were going to be climbing to the top of the high dive. Uh, we were going up. I, I, I'm not an Olympic diver, obviously. Um, and I don't actually even know the heights of Olympic diving boards. But I think they're, what, somewhere around like 30 feet, 10 meters or so. Uh, climbing to that and peering down into the deep end of the swimming pool. Last week we didn't make the dive. We didn't even do a cannonball or a belly flop. Uh, we just stood down and we looked at the pool and we said, wow, the book of Ephesians, this letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, this is a deep book. This is a wide book. It is, I mean, the height, the width, the depth, the breadth. I mean, it is the Grand Canyon of Scripture. Uh, it is beautiful and it is massive and it sometimes can seem insurmountable. But what we're going to do today is we are going to get to the edge of that diving board. Maybe we're going to get to the edge of the door that's been opened on the Cessna as it's flying over the Grand Canyon, and we're going to jump. We're going to jump. Who's ready to take a jump? Normally I say buckle your seatbelts when we dive into the word, but today we're unbuckling and we're jumping. Hopefully you're buckled into your parachute, though, because <laughs> we're going to land from 30,000 feet in Ephesians chapter 1. And before we go any further, we're just going to read what the text has to say. Ephesians chapter 1, picking up in verse 1. This is the New King James. You can follow along on the screens, follow along on your Bibles, version Bible app, however you want to do it. This is what it says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pause just real quick before I start sermonizing on this. You'll, say, you'll see in Christ Jesus here, not even through the first verse. He's already said one of the 27 times he's going to say in Christ in these next few verses. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and it without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he has made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him." In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be uh, to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. 
verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places." Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. And dear God, we just thank you so much. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active. God, that your word has purpose. God, your word cuts through our bone and our marrow into our soul and to our spirit. God, your word reveals to us the motives and the intentions of our hearts. God, your word builds us up. God, your word encourages us and inspires us. God, your word challenges us. It grows our faith. God, we thank you that your word is inspired by your spirit. And God, your spirit who inspired those writers nearly 2,000 years ago to pen these things down, God, they transcend time and they speak to us here and now. God, we pray that in these next few moments as we look at what Paul wrote to a very specific church in a very specific region at a very specific point in time, God, and how it meant something to them, God, thank you that your spirit brings meaning to us today. God, as your word transcends time as your word endures forever. God, the truths of your word impacting lives and cultures across this globe, across our history. God, we pray that today we would be changed by the power of your word and by the word of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that these would not be my words, but God, that you would speak through anything that would be of me. Uh, God, may I just not be able to get it out of my mouth. Uh, God, we want to hear from you today. So, God, we thank you. We praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Ephesians, as I said last week and I alluded to in the introduction, Ephesians has been called by theologians the Grand Canyon of Scripture. Uh, it is full of so, so, so much. And if you remember last week as we were going over and giving the intro and the breakdown of what the book of Ephesians contains, we look that it contains the riches of the believer, which is our spiritual wealth. It contains the run of the believer, which is our spiritual walk. And then it contains the readiness of the believer, which is our spiritual warfare. And today what we're going to do is we're going to take that dive and we're going to jump into the riches of the believer. We're going to look at the spiritual wealth that we have in Christ. And what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to really set the stage by doing something that is so Paul. I absolutely love it. Paul opens this letter with a greeting. 
He does this with all of his letters, 13 of them in the New Testament. Uh, And for all you history nerds out there, archaeologists, junkies like myself, Paul does it for the 13 in the New Testament. And for like the four or five others that traditionally Paul wrote that aren't in the Bible, this is what Paul does. He opens up all of his letters with a beautiful, beautiful greeting. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. We could stop there and break down that verse, but we don't have time this morning. But let it be known that Paul is establishing his authority. He's saying, listen to me, because not only am I an apostle, but I'm an apostle by the will of God. Not only am I a sent one, but I'm sent by Jesus himself. I just don't have some arbitrary title I've slapped on myself, so now listen to me. This is by the will of God. And he goes on and he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Another thing that we could spend an entire morning breaking down. Because in some groupings of Christianity and some denominations or traditions of the church, there are the saints and then there are the others. But Paul is referring to the entire church of Ephesus as saints. So too, we refer to us as the body of Christ. We are saints. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are a saint. Does that mean you get a candle and a holiday? Probably not. I I say probably because, I mean, a candle would be kind of cool. But no, like, we are all saints. And so Paul says this, and that they are faithful to Jesus. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I've spent on many occasions in devotionals and in in small sermons that I've given to young adults and youth group, just breaking down Paul's greetings. He says grace and peace. Grace, he uses the, the Greek word here, charis, and he uses the Hebrew word shalom. Charis and shalom. And when you marry the grace of God with the peace of God, you are able to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. But until you experience grace, chances are you aren't going to experience peace. And if you're not experiencing peace, then you're maybe missing a little grace in your life. So Paul just really sets the stage, and we haven't even got into the meat of what he's writing yet. So let's jump into verse 3. This is the very Pauline thing that he loves to do. He gives us a poem. Verses 3 through 14, if we had more time in our calendar and in our schedule and in our prescribed study through the book of Ephesians, we would spend probably three or four weeks just going through these 11 verses. Um, I heard a woohoo. Can I begin? No. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't have that schedule, but just Paul in these 11 verses, this very Jewish poem. Remember, Paul is a Jew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained in the school of Gamaliel. I mean, he is the real deal when it comes to like Jewish scholarship and Jewish teaching. But Paul had an experience with Jesus. It radically changed him and sent him on a mission to the Gentile world, but he still keeps his cultural identity at times. And here we get this beautiful Jewish-style poem where he talks about what we have as believers. And he starts it out with, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing, not some, not most, but every. Every spiritual blessing. So when you hear like Pastor Dave say on a Sunday or uh, one of our prayer nights or worship nights that like we have every promise in scripture applies to us today. 
Like low estimates, 2,500. High estimates, like in the 40,000s, but like average 3,500 promises in Scripture. Every single one of those applies to you today in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in God, if you put your faith in the work that his son did on the cross and the forgiveness and the redemption that we have through his death and resurrection, every spiritual blessing is yours. In heavenly places. So not just in the here and now, but like supernaturally. So like when Jesus says to Peter, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Like that stuff actually means something to us if we are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and Paul will go on to break this down, and you heard me say earlier, he says 27 times in Christ or in him. Like you think Paul's trying to get a point across? Like where are you tethered? Are you tethered to yourself? Are you tethered to your job? Are, are you tied up to your identity? Or are you tied up to Christ? Are you tethered to Christ? Is he the anchor of your soul? In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. And, and, and he goes on, and like I said, I, I don't have time, but there are all sorts of things like we who he has predestined, we who have been chosen. There's all sorts of great debate and dialogue that we could even go there. But we're not going to this morning. I encourage you, study these verses. Verses 3 through 14, there are some amazing things here. But what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into the second part of chapter 1, where Paul has set the stage with a greeting. He's done his poetry reading. I imagine wearing nice black clothing with a little bongo drum. Did his poetry reading, and now he dives into his prayer. And this is a prayer that he has for the Ephesian church, but it's a prayer that he has for us today, and it's a practice of prayer that I think we all can emulate. Remember what Paul says. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We see in the Gospels, Jesus would go off and he would pray. So like Paul's going to pray because Jesus prayed. And I think we should pray because Paul and Jesus prayed. But specific prayers, like not Lord, help me with this, help me with that. But Lord, I want to pray for my friends, my family, and my church. So Paul's going to do some amazing things here. The poem sets the stage that there is fulfillment in Christ. Therefore, as Paul says in verse 15, and uh, you'll, you'll probably hear us say it a hundred times and then a hundred more times. Uh, whenever you see therefore in scripture, it should always prompt the question, what is therefore, therefore? Right? I mean, it, 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 it's, it's simple and it's cliche, but it's true. Paul's connecting two different thoughts here. He has his poem, and it's this theological dissertation about in Christ we have everything. And now he's going to pray, and it's a specific prayer for specific needs. But they're connected because in Christ we have everything. Therefore, when I pray, I am believing that God is going to fulfill these things in him. And so connecting these things, Paul says this in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul is like speaking highly of the church in Ephesus. So often in our culture today, this isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to say it. So often in our culture today, we can talk negatively about the church. Like, not even knowingly. But we'll be like, oh man, the church, it, 
I was hurt by the church. No, you were hurt by people who went to the church. But the church, the bride of Christ, is not hurting you. See what I'm saying? But like even the way we talk, Paul's very specific here that he is like speaking kindly of the church in Ephesus. When I heard of your faith and your love towards all the saints. Now that love towards all the saints, this is, uh, could be one of the great tragedies of the New Testament. Because 20 years later when Jesus writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, I have this one thing against you, you've lost your first love. So like they were marked by their love. And then 20 years later, they're like marked by not having love. Uh, and so maybe we can learn from that. But this is what Paul is saying uh, specifically before we dive into this prayer. In verses 15 and 16, Paul, Paul is speaking highly of them that they love one another. Love for all the saints. All the saints. And I believe God is like clever enough and that the Holy Spirit is... Uh, uh, exacting when he inspires the writers of scripture. So like if there were some there in the church in Ephesus who were like maybe not doing this and they were like loving some of the saints or most of the saints, I think the Holy Spirit would have been like, hey, you love each other. But he says you love all the saints. Like this is marking that they truly do love everyone and it's not just in word. How many of you guys have said things like, uh, I love my neighbor, uh, but then in the very same sentence you'll say, but man, it just really bugs me when he does that. Anyone been there before? Like that phrase, but the really bugs me when he does that, that shouldn't exist when we're talking about in the church. In the church, we should truly love one another, including all the ugly stuff. Right? But so often, because it's human nature and because our culture has like really made this awesome, we like to separate ourselves. And we like to like compartmentalize. I like that person at that event, but man, I really don't want him at this event because, yeah, you know? Or I'll be nice to him at church, but I will never, ever want to see them at Red Robin. Because man, it would interrupt my steak fries. But Paul is commending this church because they loved everyone at all times. I love it. I think it's super cool. He says he never ceases to give thanks for them in his prayers. Uh, this echoes 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, pray without ceasing. Uh, I love it in the NLT, uh, the New Living Translation. I think our youth group uses the New Living Translations on their slides. Um, because as I was putting these in, I have it set to New King James. And I put all my verses in, and then they all showed up as New, new Living Translation. I was like, oh, i got to go back and change to the one I'm reading. But let me just see what New Living says. And the New Living for 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 is like, never stop praying. Pray without ceasing, like, but never stop praying. Like, how many of us are there where we never stop praying? I mean, that's like a tough pill to swallow. Uh, I don't pray every second of every day. I mean, is it even possible? Is it hyperbole? I don't know. The, the, the fourth century desert fathers, they like would practice breathing in and as they would breathe, they'd thank God for life and as they would exhale, they'd praise God for life. Uh, like, I don't know if you can actually physically train yourself on involuntary muscles, but if you can, cool, but it's definitely something to aspire to. Like when you are grocery shopping and someone takes the last thing, like the really nice pepperoni and someone grabbed it before you, like, that's an opportunity to be like, dear God, thank you. Now I'm not going to eat that fatty pepperoni. 
But, okay, terrible joke. I was going to say something about traffic, but Pastor Dave says that every single week. And so, <laughs> sorry, Pastor Dave. Let's dive into Paul's prayer. Uh, verses 17, uh, really through the end of the chapter. Uh, Paul prays three very specific things uh, that I want us to take home today. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of knowledge in him. Paul's first prayer for the church for this group of people that he loves, for this group of people that he never ceases to make mention of in his prayers, is that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of knowledge. Paul wants the church to grow in the things of the Lord. And, and he prays specifically that they would receive the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him. Who is this him? Remember, this is Christ. And theologians have jumped back and forth on, is, is Paul praying that they would receive the Holy Spirit? Is Paul praying that they would have a posture towards the Holy Spirit? And, and, and it's kind of split on his use of the word pneuma in the Greek. But whether he's praying that they receive the Holy Spirit, which we can all agree is a good thing. Like, how many of you could use more of the Holy Spirit poured out in your life? And one of the things that the Holy Spirit brings is words of wisdom and words of knowledge. So that very much fits with what Paul is saying. And on the other side, if Paul is praying that our spirit and I, like our personal spirit would have a posture towards the Holy Spirit to receive wisdom and receive knowledge, how many of you would agree that it would be good that our spirit is in a place where we can receive wisdom and knowledge? Okay, so both points, no matter how you want to take his usage of the Greek word pneuma here for spirit, it is specifically saying Paul wants us to grow in wisdom and Paul wants us to grow in knowledge. And it's wisdom and knowledge of Christ Jesus and what we have in him. Remember, he's connected his prayer with that awesome word, therefore, back to verses 3 through 14. He has made it to abound towards us in all wisdom, in prudence, having made known the mystery. The mystery, God's will to bring all of humanity into a new humanity, into a new family in Christ, that is something he has revealed to us, and he wants you and I to have the knowledge and the wisdom of what this looks like and how it comes to fruition. It's the gospel going forth to all peoples. Uh, Paul, Paul is setting it up that our eyes would be enlightened with understanding. That our eyes would be open to see what he is doing. And I love this. In the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? So he wants us to have wisdom and knowledge, not only of all those therefores and those riches that we have in him, but he wants us to have wisdom and knowledge of the hope that we have as believers. And often when Paul will use the phrase hope and inheritance, remember I said he'll use inheritance here because Ephesus was a financial district and they were a banking community and there was inheritances that were going in banks. So Paul's like speaking to his people here. But our inheritance and our hope, often when Paul uses the phrase hope, he is referring to our future inheritance in eternity with Christ. 
Paul likes to like set the stage that we are to live from heaven, not for heaven. It changes the perspective. As, as a follower of Christ, so often we know that our hope is heaven, so we are living in such a way, striving to get to heaven. Not like to expedite our getting to heaven, but like striving to like, I need to make sure I'm in good standing so I can get to heaven. I need to lead people to Jesus so they can get to heaven. And we are living in such a way that we are going towards heaven But Paul is setting the stage saying, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, knowing your hope, knowing your inheritance. Heaven is secure. That is your end game. So rather than trying to go towards it and for it, why don't you start there, start at the the end and work your way back, knowing that heaven is the end goal. I'm going to live from heaven. Remember, he goes all the way back, connecting it to the poem. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places We know the end game. Let's live from the realization of the end game back into our everyday life. It changes the perspective. There's no longer a striving, but there's a joy in what we do. It's no longer I'm working out my faith through fear and trembling, which at times we do, but we are living out our faith in the joy that we have, knowing our future, knowing our hope. And that's why James, James can say so strongly, and people love to throw it around that it contradicts Paul when Paul says, it is by grace we are saved, not of our works, lest anyone should boast. And then everyone who always wants to like attack scripture goes, yeah, but James says faith without works is dead. So like, which one is it, grace or works? But everyone always forgets to like throw in like the rest of that verse where James says, hey, show me your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. Like the works aren't earning the faith. The works are describing the faith. The works are coming. I'm living from my inheritance, not for my inheritance. And so Paul is setting the stage and and I believe uh, truly praying that we the church would have the Spirit, whether it's our own or the Holy Spirit coming on us, giving us knowledge and wisdom and really changing our perspective on how we live our lives, having our eyes open to the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He'll go on to pray, and he continues to pray, uh, that we would experience resurrection power. And what is the greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul wants the church in Ephesus and the Holy Spirit wants the church here and now today to experience the fullness of God's power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul wants us as the church to experience resurrection power and what it does in a life-changing sense. I heard one pastor put it this way. I wrote it down because I thought it was so good. Uh, It's going to be up on the screens. But it says this, resurrection power is the work of God in the life to come that reaches into our present and brings us into a union with him. When Jesus ascended after being raised for the first time ever, a piece of earth entered heaven. But at the same time, when Jesus was resurrected, there was a piece of heaven on earth too. 
Jesus joined heaven and earth. Now that's not like scripture, so there's some nuance in there. Uh, but I, I, I love this idea of Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. God became man, and as we see throughout the New Testament, Jesus in his resurrected body is still in heaven as a man. And, and he is there, as Hebrews tells us, he is the guarantee and the anchor of our soul who is drawing us. He's the forerunner that's pulling us towards heaven. But what he did was he established his kingdom here on earth. And he says, it is better that I go to the Father so that I can send the helper who is the Holy Spirit. A piece of humanity in heaven, but a piece of heaven here on earth. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are partakers in that new life. You are partakers in that new covenant. You are a part of the new humanity, the new family, the kingdom here on earth. And we have a purpose and a mission. And it is not only to experience resurrection power in our own life, but it's to bring the hope of resurrection power to a world around us. You know it. You hear us talk about this every day. You probably, uh, it, it, it's your mission statement too. I am going into all the world to make disciples, teaching them to observe the things which Jesus taught, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. Our mission is to bring the gospel. And the gospel contains resurrection power. Is there something dead in your life that needs resurrection? If the answer is yes, guess what? Every spiritual blessing is yours. Resurrection power is yours in him. Do you have neighbors who need some resurrection in their life? Do you have coworkers who need some resurrection in their circumstances and situations? Do you have family members who you're like, they're a deadbeat. I don't like them. They need to be raised up. In Christ Jesus, every spiritual blessing, all the riches, all the wealth of heaven is for you in him. And that includes the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. It's in you. The author of Hebrews tells us it was the spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead. And it's the same spirit that on the day of Pentecost came on the church and indwelt the church. Same spirit that Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive my spirit. It's the same spirit that takes up residence in you. Paul says even here, just a few verses earlier, he is our guarantee, our earnest, our investments. That Holy Spirit and that power is in you. Now there are some there are some who will teach that you have that power, so now you can wield it as if you're some sort of wizard and, like, command things to happen in the spiritual realm. You can, like, command wealth and prosperity and all these kinds. Of, that's not, I, I don't think that's the spiritual riches Paul's talking about here. Pretty sure they didn't use dollar bills. Um, you don't have the power to make your life better. Your life gets better. I mean, ultimately, your life is way better. Heaven, right? We're living from heaven. You don't have that power to feel good about yourself. Like, whoo-hoo, got that power. No, no, that power is in you because Christ wants to use it to impact other people. 
And then as it impacts other people, it's not so they feel good about themselves. It's so they can then use that power to go impact other people. Don't you love spiritual chain reactions? I mean, this is God's plan. And it's for us in him. Okay, I could really go a lot deeper on that, but I just saw what time it is. Third point. I got I to gotta hit one more thing on, on the second point here. I mean, but this is important. This is super important here because like every spiritual power, yes, like, or, or, or we, we, we have the resurrection power, it's in like, but it's not just for things here on earth. Chapter 1, verse 21 says, far above all principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. Phrases Paul uses for demonic and wicked and evil spiritual beings, fallen angels. These are the very entities that are at war against the church. Paul says, I want you to experience that power over those things. So that like when we resist the devil, he will flee. So that whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Jesus says, greater things will you do. Jesus cast out devils and demons. And he says, greater things will you do. So there's a very real spiritual war going on. And if you are in Christ, you're on the winning team. And you've got the winning warfare weapons and all that good stuff that goes with it. Okay, let's jump into that third point. Paul prayed that we would have the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. Paul prays that we as the church would experience resurrection power. And thirdly, Paul is praying for the church that it may be fully filled up. A fully filled church. Now, is Paul praying that every single seat would be fully filled? Uh, I don't know. I don't think that's specifically what he's praying. I think he's praying that we as the church the body of Christ, living stones, building together this holy temple that we as individuals, that we would be fully filled with his spirit, fully filled with the things that he cares about, fully filled with his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, like the fruits of the spirit, that we would be fully filled with that. And the beauty is we as living stones, you can't have just one brick to build a wall. It takes us all. And that rhymed. Wasn't even supposed to. But like it takes all of us working together, fully filled, to build this church. Oh yeah, we got cracks, we got bruises. Like we're, we're not perfect bricks. But in all those areas where we fall short, which is like every area, the Holy Spirit... Fills it up. Paul says, and he put all things under his feet. This is Jesus. Like God is making the enemies Jesus' footstool. Like Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, legs kicked up on the enemies as a footstool. All things are under his feet. And now he is the head of the church. In verse 23, the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul wants the church to experience the fullness of Jesus. And it goes all the way back. Remember, Paul married the prayer 
to the poem with the therefore. He wants us to experience the fullness. And the fullness is every spiritual blessing is ours in him. And the encouragement this morning is to seek out what that fullness is. To ask for more of the spirit. To study the scriptures and see what is actually promised to us. What spiritual blessings are in our heavenly bank account that we can withdraw from today and start using today? What would it look like if we walked out of here saying we want more Christ? We want more of what he did across at Calvary. We want more of that newness of life. We want more of his heart. What would it look like if we as the church began living in such a way that we were presenting the future glory of us, of the church in Christ. I think it would change the way we pray. I think it would change the way we live. And I think it would change the perception of the church and the world around us. If we live from heaven, knowing the blessing we have, bringing that outside these four walls truly believe, and I think it's why Paul prays this for the church in Ephesus, it changes everything. Because the gospel comes alive, and the tools in which the gospel is brought to people uh, is fully alive. It's you and I, empowered by the Spirit to do the work that Jesus set us out to do. Amen? Okay. Ephesians chapter 1, super brief discussion on these 23 verses. Um, so we went off the high dive into the deep end, but I pray we still are swimming there because next week we're going to recap a little bit of chapter one. Pastor Dave's going to bring the word from Ephesians chapter two. I'm going to pray, but before I do, we as a church, we believe in the mission of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, like we truly believe when Jesus said go into the world that we are to go into all the world. Uh, and one way, and the easy way of doing that, one of our initiatives as a church is we have these for the one cards. Um, it's an opportunity for you to like take what we learn and put it in a practical application, and uh, maybe we see the church fully filled, right? Seats and spiritually. But grab one of these for the ones. We always say grab a stack. Last week I even said grab two. But just grab one. Out in the lobby as you're leaving, you'll see a little metal triangular tower and it's got a bunch of these on it. Grab one of them and in our time of prayer now, be asking the Holy Spirit to show you who you're going to hand this to. Hand it to him, say, hey, come sit with me in church. It's as easy as that. It's as easy as that. Maybe it opens the door for a conversation. Maybe they're like, oh, well, tell me more about your church. Maybe more conversation is had, but it is truly as simple as just handing these out. We are scattering seed. I think there's a parable somewhere in the Bible about that, right? Okay, I don't think. I know. Um, and we're praying that the soil that receives and the soil as we live out the gospel, it changes lives. So let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much. Uh, God, we pray that you, by your spirit, uh, God, would be uh, putting a burden on our heart for those uh, who are lost. God, that you would be putting a burden on our heart uh, to, to seek out more of what we have in you. Uh, God, I pray that this morning, and, and, and I know our church leadership team, God, we echo Paul's prayer for the church. 
that we would have the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, that we would live in resurrection power, and that we would be fully filled with the things of Jesus. God, not so that we feel good, but God, so that we can be a part of accomplishing your mission. God, we thank you. We praise you. God, we pray all these things. We believe all these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. All God's people said, amen.